Hello, I'm Ed Horwich and this is Shot Up North. In this episode, I'm talking to Brian Griffin about his book, Himmelstrasse. I first met Brian when we were both guest panellists at Format Festival, and a while later, we had the pleasure of having Brian as our curating judge for Shot Up North's Sun Awards 27. Of course, Brian Griffin is one of Britain's most influential portrait photographers. His style of transforming workplaces into stages and his subject into actors is one which has acquired the name Capitalist Realism. And that style that propelled him into the music world too, where he photographed brands like The Jam, Elvis Costello and others who also chose to dress in suits and ties. His work has become iconic and is held in prestigious collections like the National Portrait Gallery. So for the viewer, Himmelstrasse comes as a shocking departure. Himmelstrasse, Heaven Street, is the cynical name given by the Nazis to the railways that transported millions of Jews and others to the extermination camps. As we sat in his rather hide home with a pot of green tea, looking out over the Thames on a February afternoon, I asked, what had drawn him to the bleak forests of Poland, haunted by the traumas of the Holocaust? Well, I, I journeyed to Poland because I had an exhibition of my pop photography. Really? Because as most people know, it was done late 70s, done all through the 80s, and no one had ever exhibited any of it, but the Poles did. Because there's a festival down in Łódź, which is yeah. we call Lodz, but it's Łódź. Yeah. I caught a flight to Warsaw, and then I got a train from Warsaw down to Łódź. Not a very long journey, I think it's one and a half hours or something. And I was fascinated by the railway, the Polish railways. How they were constructed and how they seemed like... Right. I love the aesthetics of the railway lines leading off, like maybe single track or whatever, through forests or through countryside. I loved the aesthet pure aesthetics of the railway tracks. So I went to Woods and organised my pop exhibition. I came back, it happened to be Christmas. As normal in those days, I met a, a very fine uh, lady friend of mine called Anne Brabon, who had commissioned me to do, to do the Olympics, the 212 Olympics some years previously. And we had a, an aesthetic friendship really, or a photography friendship. And uh, we had uh, lunch in a just over the river actually in Carluccio's and I told her about how I loved the aesthetics of the railway tracks and she said to me she said oh the railways that took the unfortunate prisoners to the gas chambers and the um, the camps in the second world war I went I never thought of that never thought of that because I got full intention of going to photograph the railway lines of course when she mentioned it I was really excited you know because it it gave it an, another more important layer actually to what I wanted to do so I enjoyed projects at the very beginning of my career and I've always enjoyed them building up a series of images around a subject that interests me. So then it became a research problem. I'd got to find out where these camps were in Poland. And uh, I wasn't interested in the most awful ones, unfortunately, I have to admit, 
there were extermination camps that basically interested yeah. me where the railways would unfortunately take the prisoners to their deaths yeah. which is really yeah. hard, dark and horrible let's just let's talk about this the practical issues and uh, anyway I uh, got I got really excited which I want to substantiate that fact throughout this project I was overtaken with enthusiasm to, to complete it to execute it and complete it which is a really weird sort of mental condition considering where I was going to photograph so I started exploring where were they I was quite shocked how much material there is around what sources did you go to to find out? There is actually a tourist guide to the extermination camps. Well, at Auschwitz, it's Poland's biggest tourist attraction. I mean, it's really quite creepy. Plus, I read all the, as much history as possible on the camps that I could find. Uh, so I found out where all the camps were, and I'd read a lot about, about them, actually, as much as I possibly could about each of the camps that I had decided to visit. And um, after that, I got all the maps of, of Poland, you know, as pull you out know, paper pull maps. out paper maps. So I bought all those. And uh, I, what else did I do? I fully realized very early on that the majority of the camps were right down the east side of Poland. So these were concentration camps rather than extermination camps? No, death camps. They're all death camps. I was only interested in death camps. Right. It sounds really morbid. I know that we're going to be talking during this interview and it's, I'm going to sound so practical and so excited at times about some of the most awful things that have ever existed on earth. And I appreciate that. And I feel very strongly about the awfulness of it all but I'm trying to illustrate to you now, to, I'm talking about it as a pure photographic project in a yeah. sense. Like as if I was a surgeon, got to operate the body of somebody I knew really well, you know. Uh, but I have to do it without emotion and do it really well. So I got these maps and then I had to decide how I would go about it. Because, you know, photographers are a hard career and you haven't got the cash to flash around, really. You've got to really have a bit of help on the way. And I didn't have any grants or nothing. I've got to spend my own money on this project. No one commissioned me or anything. I commissioned myself. So I would fly from, um, basically, from Stansted. It's certainly in Poland. Every city's got an aircraft coming in from Stansted. So I would fly to the various places in uh, Poland from Stansted. And um, I take my maps with me, and I decide to stay at a reasonable hotel, preferably a high car desk downstairs. Yeah, so I mean they're all they're all practicalities. And it was everything was fine. So I took a backpack of camera gear. I'm talking here for photographers. I took a backpack of camera gear. Uh, I took my uh, six by seven analog, Mamiya. Um, seven camera which is mm. like a big rangefinder that, that shoots eight frames basically six centimeters by seven centimeters with two lenses one was a standard lens one was a short tele a telephoto lens and then i took my canon um digital camera and my dslr 
with a uh, with a zoom and a standard and a 35 mil lens is. Uh, so I took film with me. I got great support from Fuji. I'd like to mention what proportion of the images that ended up in the book were shot on film and on digital. Mostly shot on film, I think. A higher percentage were shot on film. And did it that worked. make a difference to the way you worked? Yes, it did make a difference in the sense that uh, I, I took a very lightweight tripod with my backpack because I had a, a, quite a long zoom up to, I think it was 70 to 200. And I could pull a decent f-stop. Uh, and at times, I wanted to use the length of the zoom, actually. Well, I was going to ask... Did you adopt a particular regime for each photograph or certain groups of photographs or, or did you sort of do it organically? Um... What I did, um, initially I'd made friends with a very intelligent man who has a printing operation in Wuj, a, a digital printing company. And he accompanied me on my first trip, which meant I had a Polish-speaking very intelligent driver and secondly there was a there was a young lady there was one of his our friends that was like um that was almost although she wasn't a photographic student she was studying part-time in photography so she wanted to be with us both to gain some experience and some knowledge so the first trip meant i was going to go to see a very horrible one, Treblinka. Yeah, I've been to Treblinka, yeah. We caught a three and a half hour bus ride to Bialystok. A very famous town, very famous town. Bialystok is, is a character in the producers, in the film. Mm. And that's where the name comes from. And there is a bun which has a sort of thumbprint indentation in it in which you put sort of nice things. And that's called a Bialystok or a Biali. I never knew that. Yeah. So you've got bagels on one side and then you've got Bialis on the other. Oh, right. <laughs> and that's where it all ties in. Well, I mean, there was snow around. Mm. It was what time of year? January. Yeah. Snow around everywhere. I really liked the town. Now, I'd been going to Poland for various reasons since the uh, early 80s. But even Bialystok had wonderful places to eat and really top food, as good as anything I could get in London. Well, you're lucky. My, my ventures around Poland, I never had any good food. <laughs> well, I had this Polish guy, you know. Um, and uh, so I was holed up in this great Best Western Hotel with the high car downstairs and that. He was going to drive around, which was great help. We had all the maps. And my first stop was Treblinka. Mm. They were building some like form of dual carriageway and we had to try and find the railway line so they'd taken it up from the main yeah. line to the camp as you know and sort of as I walked across the dual carriageway which is no cars or anything we're just still making it to, to what I thought from looking at all the maps where, where the railway line was going to be they really like 
stop me from doing it. They didn't want me to do it. Very sensitive. Very sensitive about it. The road workers, they were on the road, wouldn't let me go in there. I think, what's this all about? They're just like making it your encouragement. I can't go up here. They were very sensitive about it. Anyway, we went down to the main entrance and parked up and then walked into the camp. You don't need piles of stuff that show you evidence of the past. It just comes out of the earth, it comes out of the trees. It, it just, the atmosphere is unforgiving and dreadful. There's very little sound, there's no birds. Uh, we went at twilight just before it got dark. Oh God, that's like the ultimate worst. It's quite a beautiful forest, in a sense. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your reaction was quite strong, I'm taking it. It was incredible. We walked in, as you know, you've been there yourself, where the, the camps were, where the, where the Gestapo were housed, and everything, where the, the unfortunate, a lot of the prisoners were executed. You well, there, well there's, there's nothing there. No, I, there isn't. I mean, it's just, just a, like, a memorial because because the cause and the there's Nazis name plates illustrating yeah. what was on the ground there. Yeah, like you know, that's the basic Gestapo camp or whatever. I th I can remember three and a half hours walking around it. Wow, three and a half hours. Treblinka is somewhere where the the cattle trucks pulled up. The Jews were forced off, they marched a few yards down the path and straight into the extermination chambers. Mm. I actually walked then down the track back to, to, well, towards where they wouldn't let me come up the track. Mm. And that featured in the book. So, I mean, that was, as you quite rightly have mentioned, you know, a lot of evidence was destroyed. But believe me, you can't... These camps, you can't take it away. It's not possible. It's like it's as if it's within the earth, you know, it's within within the trees. The atmosphere is unbelievable. Mm. Even if there was no, I believe there's no indication whatsoever, you'd still feel it. The vibration is immense. So did that make you stop and think? Or, or what did it do to you at that point? Because that was like your first first experience? One, I was disappointed that I couldn't do my project or complete, you know, had railway lines and whatever, you know, evident, pure evidence. So, but more importantly, was I knew I was actually in the right, I, I was actually over in the right area. I, I wasn't down in Auschwitz. I was, somewhere that was like so powerful amongst those trees the uh, i just knew that i was on the right track in a way um because the next place uh where was um do you go to my neck oh, oh yeah i did yeah i just most definitely did <laughs> uh i could not believe how big this camp was, and you could actually walk from town centre to it. Yes, yeah, it, it was in direct view of the town, and, and it's right next to a, a church cemetery. I couldn't believe it. 
It's right there. It's massive as well. It's on the highway. I, 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 I couldn't I think. I, I mean, that didn't work. So I'd been to Treblinka, where all the deep forest was and everything yeah. we were talking about. And here was open land. Yeah. It's just like a big open land. We're talking big, aren't we, Ed? I mean, we're talking it's, it's big areas. Like, it's, it's not as big as Ashford's Birkenau, but... No, it, no, it's, no, it's, it's not, big. but it's big. Yeah. And it was crosswinds, like it is in London at the oh, moment. Bitter. Bitter cold snow. And... I walked all around it, all around it. Where did I go after that? I went down to Belzic. Mm-hmm. Did you go to Belzic? No. Uh, there it was a basic railway terminal, really, a big railway terminal, and the camp was right alongside. But it's a, basically a big memorial place like Majdanek you know that big mm. museum and big memorial so did do the photographs in the book follow your journey or are they in a different order uh, in my book in order to answer your question was I wanted the book to start on that railway line I wanted to follow the tracks of the, of the railway line that took Hitler to his wolf's lair and the platform he got out and then I went through, straight through the wolf's lair, out on the railway line, the other side, which still, they all still exists perfectly, and led me into the rest of my book, which was my journey over Poland. That was like my introduction, that I was almost like on Littler's train going around Poland. Mm. I mean, I know a bit dark, but... Uh, uh, walking up that railway line that Hitler took and just thinking... Of, the top of me, the actual the Führer, because like well, railway lines are like solid things. They're not like roads where you can go off and park to the side or overtake somebody or anything. They are tracks. You actually physically, uh, if you stand in the middle of them, you're actually, you know, you'd be run over by the wagons or you'd be run over by Hitler's train. You know, because it, it wouldn't like oh, pap its horn and go round you. You know. And that's what I found exciting about the project is that this was actually the physical two yards or whatever that everyone went to their deaths or Hitler travelled to his uh, yeah. his uh, wolf's lair. So uh, I went then I, um, I went to Belzec and the, the, the railway lines around Belzec. So I've done Majdanek now. I went off then to Auschwitz. I arrived in the car park at Auschwitz and I was really quite dismayed actually. What sort of time of day was that? Uh, I would have, I went very early, there was a snow blizzard and I photographed the wagons which were on the Juden ramp uh, of Birkenau. And then I went to Auschwitz itself, the camp itself, the car park. There was like a refreshment place there. There were double-decker buses coming in full of kids and everything. Uh, it felt a bit like I was visiting Blackpool or something. It, it is a huge industry. I didn't like it. All of a sudden, I've been to these horrible places over on the east side. And I've still got one to tell you about, which I've omitted. And... Uh, the most horrible one of my whole trip. I've, I have omitted, but I'm going to carry on to this at the moment. And um, I didn't like it. 
It was all like school children. They were all like, not only nothing wrong with children, of course, but the whole thing seemed like I was going to Disneyland or something. I didn't like the atmosphere at all, so I took off. I didn't do a tour, a big tour of Auschwitz at all. I almost rejected it because it, it wasn't the same. It was like so I was going around the Tower of London or something. Mm. So I went off to Birkenhau. And then as I, as I said earlier, it was horizontal snow down there, heavy winds. And I did an extensive tour of Birkenau. I photographed the Juden ramp, which is not in the book, uh, in the heavy blizzard with the wagons. Because I did do some extra exterior images that weren't appropriate for the book. Although it sounds it should, they should be in the book, but I wanted just these lonely railway lines. Anyway. I went all around Birkenau and took pictures. It was really horrible, Birkenau. That was going back into the atmosphere I'd experienced weeks before. And I've omitted one, which should be on the Lublin journey as well. I went to the most horrible, 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 horrible one, which was Stotthof. Have you been to St Oh, No, I've not been there. That's right next to the river Bog right on the east side of Poland, amongst the trees. And uh, obviously I walked the forests around all these camps and I imagine the Gestapo and all of them and the dogs and all the escaping prisoners, especially at Stutthof, the famous film, Escape from Stutthof. And um, I went from Lublin and I went on the main railway line, which, I th which leads out of Lublin and goes over to in that direction and it comes to like a railway point that then the single track leads off the main railway line again and heads up towards Stutthof which is in the book and then I, wore, I walked a lot of that railway line but I, I think it's 40 kilometres before you get to Stutthof because I read something that uh, way back where this junction is this one single railway line going off the main line from Lublin, and they could see the, the, the orange-red glow in the sky 40 kilometres north of, unfortunately, the bodies being burnt of the prisoners in open pyre, you know. Because I think they use railway lines there to burn. They, they, they burnt them on top of railway lines there. Um, yes, it, well, it made a more efficient fire. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it, it's really, really horrible. So I walked up there, <clears throat> and there is a train that still goes up, a local railway. They're like, they're like two-car trams, in a way. They operate on these lonely country routes in Poland. And they still bounce along. I mean, the railway track's a little bit higgledy-piggledy. And I went up to Stutthof, and uh, I uh, went to the station, which has always been photographed and filmed and that, where there, there is no lions going in towards the camp anymore. And there were just porter cabins there that were where the management of the, I suppose you could call it the management of the, of the place. Mm. But then it brought back echoes of Treblinka, the horrible Treblinka. I got the same feeling again being there. It had like those little tall pine trees, whatever, which my book is filled with. 
So then, <clears throat> for my final trip, I learned that the first, I believe it is the first concentration stroke death camp was Stotthof. Stotthof sits to the, the east of Gdansk, quite near the Baltic. And that is immaculate, a bit like Majdanek in a way, like really actually in its full awfulness, you know, it's been preserved, manicured almost actually. And then I go to the camp entrance and it's a bookshop. <laughs> it's a bookshop. And uh, I'd heard about it because I'd read about it in the the Daily Mail or somewhere like that years ago, following all the press and all the, my research, that they made uh, that there was a scientist up there or a doctor or something that was, uh, made human soap. Oh, there was plenty of that going on. And uh, there's a book on it. I remember purchasing the book. And then what was interesting about Stotthoff I, I mean, I know that in uh, Birkenau, that railway line goes, you know, it's a famous shot, isn't it, mm. of all the, the Holocaust or whatever. There's actually a railway line that actually goes into the Stotthoff camp, which obviously I found amazing, because it's the only one I've found, really. And it's a, it's a small railway line, small gauge, you know. Um, railway yeah, yeah. And it goes in through a gate, the back of the camp. And then there are some wagons the other side in the camp itself. The line carries on. Because some of the, the wagons were actually open-topped as well. Mm. And it goes to where there's a noose. There's a noose sitting solo there, right next to the gas chamber, next to the railway line. It's a relatively small gas chamber. You could say it's as big as a, a large... Well, from memory, a large living room, really. Yeah. It wasn't of an industrial capacity like Auschwitz certainly was. Um, but this is very intact and very close to Gdansk. And as I said, just off to the east side. Was that the last location? That was the last location, Stotthoff. At times it was a horrible feeling walking through these forests. And as I was talking earlier about Stotov and Ergodansk, I heard a tree creaking, you know, and as I was walking through this dark forest. And it really unnerved me because I was always alone. There was never anyone around. I was never disturbed. All I saw was an occasional pussycat, a little domestic cat. There might be one or two during my whole visit of uh, people that were out training, running, you know. But basically no one interfered with me, no one commented, no one was interested in me. I just walked through these forests on my own. And it, coupled with the history, it was quite an experience really, being so alone in these big forests, walking the tracks. Having the echoes of the past. Having echoes of the past. I think that's when I had to... I realised that I was that my determination to complete the project and my excitement had overruled my fear, really. Uh, so I just kept my focus. Tell me a little bit about the point of view that you've chosen. 
there would be lens differences at times, but essentially most of them feel rather uh, wide angle. And I want it to be almost at the level of the feet of the passengers in a way. You know, my body height, I'm five foot nine, five foot eight, five foot nine, is probably around the ankles of the passengers or whatever. Or certainly the ones lying on the floor of the wagons, I might have been in a similar head height. And I was travelling exactly down the centre. Every photograph I was taken exactly down the centre. There is no fluctuation in the journey. You cannot overtake me to the side, to the left or to the right. You can't go, well, you can go over the top of me and obviously obliterate me. But I am going on the same journey that you're going to go. Fortunately, I'm still alive. So the train tracks are, are, are taking you, are taking the viewer, in, as it were, into infinity, into obliteration. Yeah. Was, was that the sort of thought that went through your head when you're looking at it? Or, 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 I mean, you say yes quite quickly now. Is that something you've reflected on since you've actually published the images? I realised that I was doing a project that no one else had done. That did excite me. Mm. And I knew because I was a professional photographer the power that the images would convey or would possess due to their collective, collective nature being mm. in a book. I knew that I, I was going to produce something extremely power, powerful and something quite unique. I mean, I was excited about that. I, I, I'm going to talk brutally honest, you know, I'm not going to cover anything. And, uh, but when I actually found myself physically in these spaces, the situation overtook any, any, uh, other, any feeling really, um, most of the time. You were, it was like you, I'm going to guess, it was like you were on automatic, you didn't have any choice about what you did, you knew you had to do it. I had to do it, of course. I had to do it. To, I had to do it. And I was saying to myself, I am producing the most boring book that has ever been done in photography. I was saying that to myself because all my photographic career I've had to take, whenever possible, the most interesting photographs that have ever been taken or have been taken or about the subjects I'm photographing, either to make a magazine more interesting, make people stop and read a, a, a magazine article. I've been trained to try and cr create images that are powerful. And here I was, con uh, I, was uh, I was actually executing image, I was actually completing images or collecting images that were powerful due to what uh, they meant in history. I was a pure documentarian on this project as opposed to someone that was amplifying. I was a photographer that just wanted to complete this project really in the end. I would like to say now that I have not earned one single penny from the book and I have to thank Brown's Editions for, for financially supporting the book. Some people think it's an extraordinary book. You know, a few people do. <laughs> now, I'm rather proud of it because, as you said at the beginning of our conversation, it is a real going off 
off my normal furrow, you know, it's right out there somewhere to the side. And the fact that I did it, it's quite extraordinary when you look at my career and uh, you look at the work that I've known to have done and do, and I did a book like this. It's almost incredible as if I was governed, as if I was made to do it. Well, if you're interested in acquiring a copy of Himmelstrasse, it's available online from brownseditions.com. My thanks to Brian, and it was a great cup of tea, by the way. Till the next time, on Shot Up North, I'm Ed Horwich.